Welcome to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. For what you're saying, for what you're doing in this season, Lord, that will be life to people. Lord, revelation, Holy Spirit, illuminate your word through me today in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. I really want to share, you know, we're talking, Pastor Larry and Krista were talking about uh, revelation and talking about leaders and thriving and um, what is God saying. And so I feel like in this season, right now, more than anything, what the Lord is doing is um, one of the things for this year has been it's a year of prayer. And uh, so praying like we've never prayed, pushing into God, believing God for what he has for us. But one of the things I really found as I've been seeking the Lord is talking about is wholeheartedly. And that's what I want to share about today, to thrive as a leader, to do what God's called you, not just as a leader, but in life, um, to be successful in the Lord. You've got to follow him wholeheartedly. And I'm going to show you even in scripture how really as I begin to study this out, it, it becomes so much revelation for me as well. as that Because sometimes when we're believing God, especially when we're prophetic people and we've got prophetic promises from God, we we're pushing in, we're believing, but it seems like it's been so long where, you know, oh God, you spoke that, but if I look in the natural, nothing's happening like that. Even words over your church, over our nation, we can say, well, God said there's going to be the greatest revival from our nation. God spoke this about our church, but if we look in the natural, it's dwindling, or if not saying yours, but I'm just saying that can be, and that can become discouraging, or you're trying to do something, you're stepping out, you start a group, and you believe God has called you to do it and two people turn up. But you know what? If you change one person's life, then that's our motivation. And it's not about man looks at numbers. Man looks at, um, you know, they judge how successful something is by numbers. But you can have a number, you can have 150 people and you might only have, you know, some of those people, they're just 150 people who come and they never do anything with their life. And the rest of the week, they just go about. But you can have 20 people who are sold out, solid. That's what God looks at. And so if one life is changed, then it's worth it. Come on. It's not about, that's how Jesus went for one life. He went out of his way to the woman at the well. Because when you change one life, then that woman changed the community. So you don't know if that one life is good, but that one life changes other lives and then other lives and other lives. But often we're measured by massive numbers and God never ever does that. But what I did find in the scripture is when we follow the Lord wholeheartedly, he does reward us. Come on. He does reward us. And sometimes we've got to be reminded of that to keep going, to keep pushing through, to keep believing that God does do what he said he would do, that he does bring things to good. And so I want to start in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9. This is David preparing Solomon to be king. And you know what? There could have been many things he said to him, but this is what he says. He says, and you, I love that to start with. And you, it's personal. Okay? It's not about anybody else. It's personal. And you. Then he addresses him, my son. Okay? So first of all, it's a personal thing. And you. 
and you. It's your race, it's your walk and you. So it's personal. My son Solomon, then he addresses who he is. You're my son. The advice that he gives him, acknowledge the God of your father. Come on, acknowledge him. So he's saying to him personally, Solomon, no matter, he's not making a big way, you're going to do this and all this grandeur. He says, my son, acknowledge God, number one key, always acknowledge God in your life. And then he says, and the next thing he says, what? And serve him with a half-hearted. No, he says, and serve him what? Wholeheartedly. Okay, so this is what David, David's greatest advice to his son when he's anointing him and preparing him to be king. You, it's about you, Solomon. It's not about, it's a personal race. It's a personal relationship. You, Solomon, he says, my son, acknowledge the God of your father, not the God of whatever, the God of your father, because it's the true God, and serve him. Serve him means serve him. Come on. Part of when we follow the Lord, there's an aspect of serving God. Come on. We have to serve him. As he says, serve him. And he doesn't say half hour or up one day or this week we're good or, wow, we just had a great speaker through. I'm pumped up this week. Oh, well, maybe it'll get me through to next month. But next month I'm down again. Come on. There has to come a maturity. There has to come a place. It's a personal thing that we are responsible for our own personal walk with the Lord. Come on. And we're responsible for our life. You might have come from the most worst life, terrible background, but you can change it. Come on. And you, are, we can't keep blaming. Our generations is blame. It's because of so-and-so. It's because my pastor doesn't acknowledge me. It's because my mother did this. It's because I can't speak. Always want to blame people. Or No, it's personal. Your walk, acknowledge it. I can, come on, God is with me. This is my walk. And he says, serve him wholeheartedly. And then he says, with a wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. That's interesting, he says, with a willing mind. Because you know what? The biggest battle is in your mind. That's the biggest battle. Most people, we count on things like the biggest battle is your mind, where you can, that battle goes on, what goes on continually inside of us is a battle between our soul, which is our mind, and our spirit, okay? That's the battle that goes on continually. You're, well, because we live on this earth, the, we, we're part of the soulish part, we're here, the devil lives on the earth, and so we're around things. So there's a battle that continually goes on inside of you. And and your mind and between your spirit. But who wins? The one you feed the most. Come on. The one you feed the most. And so if you've grown up and wired a certain way or had rejection or been someone, you have to change that. How do you change that? You change your thinking. If you don't like what you see, then change what you say. Okay, that's the key. If you don't like what you see, then you've got to change what you say. You've got to start saying, no, I am the head and not the tail. Come on, I am blessed. My family will be blessed. Come on, we are a new generation. Our nation will be blessed. Come on. This nation is a nation of the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see the greatest revival. Darkness might look like it's prevailing, but devil, come on, the light's going to shine brighter. I am the light. Come on, we're going to shine 
shine brighter amidst the darkness. I'm not afraid of the darkness. Come on, there's nothing new. Everything, the darkness we think is now, it was worse back in the Old Testament or just as bad. Come on, there was all of that around. But then common sense, there's nothing new. And then common sense prevails and the people come back because it's so ungodly. They realize it's not working. All the crazy things go, it's not going to work. They think it's working. Oh, we can be free. I can do. They think, but it, it get, go back and realize that good biblical, good lifestyle, what the Lord says, that's what works. Come on. So we've got, it's how you see. Come on, if you don't, if you don't like your community, don't keep complaining about it. Change what you say. I thank you, Lord, that this is blessed. Come on. We live in an open heaven where we live, peaceful, quiet. We've prayed out every neighbor that's been a problem. Okay, so we either, Lord, either they sell or they get saved. There's only two options. And he, only he knows which is going to work. If they're not going to get saved, then sell and get out. One neighbor we had was, they were good, but then their son grew up and he was bad. Like terrible, blood curling, fights and screaming, all sorts of things going on. And it's like, I'm thinking, they're never going to move. They've owned half the property here. They lived here. And it's like, but I just began to pray, God, either got to get saved or got to move. We've been away. We come back one week later. The house was up for sale. And they were moving to a unit. The cars, I think, oh, those poor people. Hopefully someone can pray there. But come on. You go, and so we've created an open heaven. I, I walk. We go walking and jogging. I walk up and down my street. I thank you, Lord. Peace and blessing on my neighborhood. I pray the peace of God and the blessing of God in my neighborhood continually, the blood of Jesus up and down our street, that no one with evil intent will come on our property or in our street. Come on, we you've got to mark your territory. It's up to you. So you just complain. You have to take your authority and understand you have authority to make that place the right place. Come on, like I said, if you don't like what you see, then change what you say. So he's telling him this battle, he says, serve him with a willing mind. He said, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire. Then I said, he's God. He knows everything and every thought. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. It's pretty scary. But you know what? The Lord sees the heart. He knows what's in a heart. Nothing can be hidden from God. You know, I saw a thing on Facebook just recently. Someone says, like, taking that pole there, and there was a guy with a larger belly standing at the side of the pole, and, and they're going, us trying to hide from God our sin. It's like trying to hide behind that pole, and you're trying to, and it's like he's way out here. There's no way he's going to fit hide behind that pole. And it's like God sees everything. Who are we trying to kid? He knows that like, you can come to church and all round people put on your little facades and everything, but so what? You fool people. That's not going to, you can't fool God. He knows everything. Come on. But you know, the awesome, that should bring you joy, not make you scared, because the awesome thing is that God, in spite of it, God knows everything. He sees everything, but He still loves us. Come on. He still loves us, He forgives us. It doesn't matter what's going, come on, that's a good thing about it. And you just got to deal with yourself. See, David's giving advice firsthand. He found this out the hard way when God sent Nathan to him. He thought he could hide his sin. But see, David knows what he's talking about when he anoints his son. He's like, listen, son, love the Lord, serve him wholeheartedly. Don't try hide anything from him. 
He knows, and that's why David's telling him, the Lord knows the heart. He knows what's in our heart. He knows, but in spite of that, he still loves us. He's still, and that's like sometimes it can be a little bit confusing with prophetic words. It's like sometimes, I'll give you an example. You've got, maybe you have Bill and Bob on the front row, okay? The prophet comes to town. Now, Bill is at church every Sunday. He serves, he's there, he's diligent, he does whatever needs to be done, pays his tithes, he's everything, Bill's there. Now, take Bob on the other hand, he hardly ever comes, he never wants to help, never doesn't give any offerings, always complain, and it's like, but he, he only ever turns up when the guest speaker's there. So the prophet comes and he gives a word and he begins to prophesy to Bob, you're such a faithful man and you're good with your money and you're so, and everyone's like, you missed it, one seat over, that was Bill's word, you're describing Bill and everyone thinks of, no, the prophet didn't miss it, it's God prophesies to our future and he prophesies to what's the potential in you just because the sin's not mentioned it doesn't mean God's okay with it because see that's where people get confused with prophecy or people who are even flowing in the things of God moving in the anointing but they're full of sin they're doing sinful things they're like well how can that be they're still powerful because the anointing never leaves us you can still operate in the giftings you can still flow but just because God doesn't mention the sin, because he's a gentleman, he's not going to publicly expose people. It doesn't mean what he does, he talks about, it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. So God talks about your future, hoping that that then will say, okay, I've got to deal with this stuff because God's got greater for me. You know, we know the laws of God. If you sin, then there's consequences. You know, so you, you don't have to say, well, you're sinning, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. But you, we all know that. But God will always speak to our potential. He talks about our future. Come on. And that's why he's here he is. David's telling him, he's saying, come on, God knows what's in your heart. We can't, you can fool man, but you can't fool God. And understanding a way of God's word is in Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this, for the word of God is living and powerful. God's word. See, this is how you, one of the ways between our, our, our mind and our spirit, because our mind wants to control everything. Our mind will say to you, it's not going to work, or you come from a bunch of nobodies, or you're dyslexic, how are you ever going to do well? Or but Come on, all the things that the mind will speak stuff that's contrary to God's word. And so that's why the word of God, it says here, it goes on here and it says that the word of God is living. It's not just some dead book that was written thousands of years ago. It's living. It's powerful. When you really get passionate and read the Word of God with the Holy Spirit, God will speak to you. And when you're reading, see, I love to read Proverbs yearly because Proverbs is a good character checker. Come on, Proverbs is good about your character. It's good to read Proverbs once a year, check on if you're getting too smart for yourself, too full of yourself. Proverbs has a way of bringing out, because God's word is living. It's living, come on. It talks about how haughtiness, it talks about being so full of yourself. It talks about or unforget all these things. So it's living. It's not just words on a bit of paper. It's living. It was written, God breathed. It was written with the Holy Spirit. So then when you read the word of God, 
it will convict you. It also brings peace. It brings comfort. It uncovers, oh, maybe I haven't got enough faith. But God says, I am powerful. He says, I'm an overcoming. So it says it is living and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit. And so what it's saying is it divides. The word of God divides because it continues like, well, what is God? What's me? What's the spirit of God? What's my thinking? What are my desires? What are wrong thoughts that have been put in me from growing up? What's all these things? It says the word of God divides. Come on. It divides. And what it does, it shows you the difference. It brings out what is truth. It says this here. It says that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what the Word of God does. It will divide between your thoughts up here, between what the Spirit of God says, but also what's in your heart. Come on. It brings out what's in your heart, the wrong thoughts, the wrong thinking. But also the Word of God, always, whenever there's things going, I will be completely decree the Word of God over us. As for me and my household, we shall serve the Lord. No corresponds into, come on. I'm the head and not the tail. God, you didn't give me a spirit of fear. If you're feeling fearful, you didn't give me a spirit of fear. So you gave me a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. I'm going to decree that thing over my life until fear left me. That's what you've got to do. Whatever you're struggling in, there is an antidote. There's a word in the word of God that you begin to decree over you. My household is blessed. My finances are blessed. Come on, whatever it is, you're my healer. We begin to decree it over our life. But unfortunately, the world today, we want a, we're a microwave generation. We want everything now. Two minutes is too long. Come on. But we all know grandma's roast in the microwave is nothing compared to that roast that's cooked and you smell it all day, wafting through the house. Uh, you can't wait for it. Come on. And that's God. We've got to be patient. You've got to decree a thing. What the Bible doesn't say, decree a thing to you. Right? It says until it's established. So until that truth is established in your life. See, I tell people, it says that, um, I was up trying to think of the word, that, the truth will set you free. That's what the Bible says. The truth sets you free. So once you, if you haven't got a truth, I'll give you an example. It's like my husband loves to run and to drive. He'll go 18 kilometers every second day. He loves exercise. To me in the beginning, I didn't love it. To me, it wasn't in love. It's just a waste of time. It's like, I got, it's an hour. I got plenty of more things to do in an hour. I could do two loads of washing. I could, bake. come on, I could, I could do my book work. I'm just like, it just was so, I could have a, I can, well, you do the washing now. <laughs> that was back when I started. Yeah, <laughs> I don't do the washing. He does the washing. But anyway, I did back then. Okay, you've only been doing washing 10 years. We've been married 37, so I'm still up on the washing. <laughs> but anyway, so um, in giving an analogy of, it's like, I don't, you know, to me, it's just not that important. I did enjoy it when I went out and walked. I loved being outside. But I just thought of other things I can be doing because I've got so much to do. And he'd say, come on, you need to go. It's so good for you. I was like, Wah. So I eventually started going, but I complained the whole way. My legs hurt. Hey, I'm thinking about it. When am I going to get home? Just kind of, I was just, but then I began to read and study all these articles about exercise and how good it is for you and how much better you sleep and your blood flow and your mind and aging and everything. So 
Now, I still don't say I love it, but I know it's good for me, so the truth set me free. So it doesn't have to drag me anymore. I go and I realize that, okay, that is a good hour invested because now I know the truth behind exercise. So that's the whole thing about the Word of God. A lot of Christians, we don't know the truth. Come on, we don't know it. So if you don't understand, if you've got fear, if you don't understand that God didn't give me a spirit of fear, and I re- so whatever you're struggling with, it, I say to people that don't understand tithing and giving, now, I could argue with you for an hour and tell you, but if you've just got that in your heart, you're never going to, you know, it's just a waste of time. I say to people, go study it out. Study out the Word of God. Put in everything about giving. giving a, and as you begin to say, you will know the truth and it sets you free. That's what it is. So whatever area that you're struggling with, the answer is in the Word of God. And we have it so easy now. Come on, before we had to get out concordance, you had to spend 20 big books, you had to have the whole table. And then by the time you set up, that was an hour. By the time you got all your study stuff out, and then you'd be trying to, okay, heart, and write this down. Now you just got to, come on, our phones and apps or computers, you just type in the word heart. Every occurrence in the Bible will come up. You can paste them all onto the ones that you feel speak to you into a folder and then you read, print them out and read them. See, knowing the truth and the truth will set you free. A lot of Christians, we do not know the truth. We're following someone else's truth. We're listening to someone else's truth that, wow, I should do this or I should do that. And so we do it, but that will wear out in hard times. Because it's not your revelation. Come on. It's not, that's why I just say, it's no use trying to convince someone to get saved. They have to know the truth of salvation because they'll backslide. That's why we don't just drag people. You just got to, okay, they have to understand about salvation. They've got to understand that why did what he did. So when you know the truth, it sets you free. So that's why anything in your life that you're not understanding about, you've got to know the truth. Study it out. Come on, study out what does the word of God say about giving? What does the word of God say about the heart? What does the word of God say about success? Whatever it is, everything is in the word of God. It's amazing and it's living and it's powerful. So when you study it, you get this whole truth. It's like, oh my gosh, and then no one will ever steal it from you. See, no one, I will exercise now because I know the truth, that it's good for me, come on, that I sleep better, that it'll stop me aging, it'll help the blood flow and all. I, we need to exercise. Come on, same with water. I did a whole study on water. I used to drink diet drinks. Now I've done a whole study on how I shouldn't drink diet drinks. So you got anything. It's like there's bad stuff in them. So anyway, if you drink them, that's okay. It's my truth, right? <laughs> if you haven't got that truth yet, that's fine. It's just this difference. So whatever it is, know, God knew what he's doing. Know the truth and it'll set you free. But a lot of the time we just know other people's truths. We know what's preached and that's awesome, but you have to own it. Come on, you've got to know that truth. And it's a living word. This is uh, Caleb in Joshua 14, verse 7. It says this. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back a word to him as it was in my heart. I love this when you read this because we know that there was 10 spies that went out, okay? And the land was full of giants. But two men... Joshua and Caleb came back with a different report. They all saw the same thing. 
God said, this is the promised land. And there was massive grapes in it. It flowed with milk and honey. But they're like, well, God, yeah, but you didn't tell us something. There's big giants on that land. It's like God says, hey, listen, Pastor Larry, go start a church. You two start a church. I called you to be pastors. Yeah, it's going to be great. This is your call to do this. Oh, but there's a few giants on your land. You know, so he kind of doesn't, but what they did was the other eight brought back a negative report. But this is what um, Caleb says here. He says, he says, but I brought back a word as it was in my heart. So I hadn't seen that before. He saw what they saw, but he brought back a word as it was in his heart. In his heart, he knew that his God was bigger than any giant. Come on. In his heart, he knew God said, I'm going to have this land. So those giants are just temporary. Come on. So he knew in his heart. So if you haven't got it in your heart to what God says, if you're saying, oh, well, I'm going to go here. And that's what happened with the other eight. They're all excited to go because God said, this is the promise. But when they got there, there was giants and they're like, oh, no, that's bad. I'm going to go back to God. Well, God, you must have given us the wrong land. Imagine going back to God. You gave us the wrong land. But I love, I've never seen this before. He says, I gave a word as it was in my heart. So it's what's in your heart. What do you believe in your heart? If you've today received prophetic promises, the words well, we all have, but you're not living there right now. Well, what's in your heart? Well, you feel excited today. And a lot of the time when you get a prophetic word, you'll feel excited. You know why? Because you're spirit witnesses. God says, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Okay? So he says, I spoke out your life. He already spoke out our destiny and purpose. So then we're born to wherever we're born, whatever. But until we connect back to God, that word is in us, but it's there dormant. So what happens is when you receive a prophetic word, it's the spirit talking, God's spirit speaking to your potential, to your future. And so what happens is the spirit inside starts to jump out. I know that. Yes, that's what the father said. And that's why we feel excited and we're pumped, but then we get back to life and reality. Mm, I don't know how that's going to happen. Well, it's still the same. I'm still in the same place. Nothing's changed. Nothing's different. And so that's what it is, is that understanding God speaks our potential. He talks about our future. But if you don't believe it, if it's not in your heart that God, you said this was going to happen, then You've got, you've got to own it. Come on, you've got to be He said, the others heard the word of God, but they never, it wasn't in their heart. This is even too big for God. So he says, I spoke as to what was in my heart. Come on. I brought about a word as it was in my heart. And it says this, Nevertheless, my brethren, who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. Isn't that terrible? Come on. The others made the people's heart melt. God brings an encouraging word of deliverance. This is your promised land. This is what I've got for you. And the others made their hearts melt. Well, we know that none of them entered in. And so it's important about what we believe and what we say, you know, what we speak, what you speak about your life, about your family, or what because we can cause other people's heart to melt. And then you get too disappointed and then you just all melt together because you're just in a big... So I love to hang around people who are passionate about God. Come on, who live wholeheartedly. Come on, who are people who aren't wet blankets. If you've got wet blanket friends, encourage them, but they're not, don't make them your best friends. 
Come on, move on to people who are full of God, full of excitement. Come on, that will encourage you. Iron sharpening eye. I say to people, you hang around with unsaved people continually, that's going to be the predominant. You're not going to believe. You're going to doubt. You're going to have questions. You hang around with people of God. Come on, you'll be iron sharpening eye. You'll have, there'll be times where you're down and they're up and you'll hear their testimony and you'll be like, oh my gosh, come on, I heard that. And it encourages you then. God did it for them. He'll do it for me. That's what he said, cause, I don't want to be a person that causes people's hearts to melt. But he says this, this is what he says, but I, it's personal again, but I. It doesn't matter that the other not eight were negative, were saying that it couldn't be done, that it's impossible, it's a hopeless situation. Come on, he took ownership, but I, but I, come on, I personally, it says it here, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. I wholly followed the Lord my God. Come on, he's got a different spirit. The others didn't bring hope. He didn't care what the others thought. He didn't care what the, he says, but I, I personally, I followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I followed him with everything that's inside of me. And then it goes on this and verse nine says, so Moses swore on that day saying, surely he says, the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance. Come on, the land where your foot, he says, that will be your inheritance. Why? Because you've followed the Lord wholeheartedly and because you've believed the promises of God. But he doesn't just say, see, this is the awesomeness. When you do something for God, it's not just about you. He said it will be an inheritance. What's an inheritance? Your children's children. Come on, it's not just natural children. It's spiritual children. He, God just doesn't just give it to you. He gives us an inheritance to your children's children. So when you're doing stuff and you're breaking through, it's not just about you. You're doing it for your children and your children. When you look through the Bible, God blessed David and so many generations after him, even though they become wicked, but because of his covenant with David, because David followed the Lord wholeheartedly, because David did, God blessed the generations after. So I look at now and think we've done it. We've followed God wholeheartedly. We've laid up an inheritance. Our children all serve the Lord, all follow the Lord, never backslidden, have been passionate about God all their lives. They've they're old at like 36 and 34 and 30. And they're, they're now my grandchildren follow the Lord. Come on, they're all passionate about God. So I look and think we've got to sign up for most probably 10 generations, even if they be, become wicked, which I'm not blaming because it multiplies that effect. Come on, that effect, multi it's not as hard for the grandchildren for us. It's not as hard, it hasn't been as hard. Not that they haven't had stuff, but we had to do the hard stuff. Come on. And so here he did it. Now God gives it to him as an inheritance. But see, the world's not about that. The world's about me. What's in it for me? What do I get out of this? If I serve, what do I get? What's the next step? Well, if I come and be a greeter and clean the toilets, am I going to be the, the preacher next week? Oh, and that's what people are just looking. Well, what's the next step? What do I get? What's in it for me? But he served the Lord wholeheartedly. And so Moses said, you'll get inheritance. What? For your children's forever. Why is he going to get an inheritance? Because you have wholly followed the Lord your God. Come on. Because you've wholly followed God. Why did he get blessed? Because he wholly followed 
followed the Lord. When we wholeheartedly follow God, there's a blessing. And you mightn't be walking in now. You might be in where God has said to you, this is your promises. You might be fighting giant after giant, but he said you will have that land. He's given you that land. And if you follow him wholeheartedly, you will get it. If you just do it long enough, if you stick to God, if you keep showing up, keep it, there is a blessing. See, we've been through a lot. I'm sure we'll go through other things. I know we will. There's just, that's life. You go through stuff whether you're with God or not with God. Come on. It doesn't make any difference what you're still going to. But we've got God. That's the awesome thing. We have the Lord. We've got that assurance. But the thing is, when you walk long enough and keep showing, you begin to then see a blessing way beyond yourself. Come on. And you're like, man, it was worth it. You gain a bit of knowledge. You get a bit smarter. You get, you're like, oh, I'm not falling for that. I know that. Come on. And you see the blessings of God. Well, he comes through there, so he'll come through again. He will do what he said he will do. Why? Because you get it because you wholeheartedly. God does not like lukewarmness. He'd rather that you didn't serve him. That's what he says. I mean, that used to pop that scripture. It's like, wow, if I'm, you'd rather you're hot or cold. Because if you're lukewarm, he would spew you out of his mouth. Oh, wow, that, that's strong words. Vomit you out of his Why? Because you don't bring, you bring an injustice to the price that Jesus paid. You bring something against God because you're not representing him rightly. Come on. People look at, at people's lives that live wholeheartedly. It's like you talk about this powerful God and you serve this God. But look at your life. You're a liar. You're a cheat. You're a gossiper. You Come on. And they look at, not saying we're, we're a work in progress, but God, if you're working wholeheartedly, you love the Lord and you, he will change things. He will make, come on, things get better. You you deal with stuff and you get stronger. You overcome that. So God would prefer. He loves that we be wholeheartedly. You know, I might even, I'm not even sure what I'm showing tomorrow. But anyway, I love that. There's an old C.C. Wyman. I mean, it's not Hilltops, an old, old, where she talks about the woman with the alabaster jo- uh, box. And she comes and pours her oil out. I love it. It's old, but it's, it's just beautiful because it's like she says, you weren't there. The night he found me. You were not there the night that he wept because they were all the Pharisees and indignant. This manner of woman shouldn't even touch him. She shouldn't be near him. Come on. They're so self-righteous. See, but this woman was broken. Come on. She poured everything she had on the master. That's what the song says. From her alabaster box. That was all she had and she chose to pour out. That's living wholeheartedly. Everything she had. Why? Because she was thankful for what he'd done for her. She's thankful. I remember the night he found me. Come on. That's right. Remember what he saved you from. Remember. Sometimes we get so comfortable in our little cushy Christian life and we become so self-righteous and look down at our nose at other people. You've got to remember what he has saved you from. Come on. You've got to have a remember what your life would look like if you weren't saved. I know what my life would look like. If I wasn't saved, what? I know what he's saying. It's always remembering uh, you know, wholeheartedly, God, I am not going to do you an injustice. You gave me an incredible gift. You picked me up. You saved me. Come on. You've given my family such a blessing. I'm never going to forget that. And I'm not going to live half-heartedly for God. I'm going to live wholeheartedly for him with everything. Why? And God shows you here, as I'm saying, he rewards us. Why did he get his land? Because he lived wholeheartedly. 
And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke the word to Moses while, in Is while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. And he says, as yet, I'm as strong as this day, as the day the Lord Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both going out and coming in. Come on, he's still passionate. Here he is 40 years later. He's 85 and he's still living wholeheartedly. He's still as passionate. In other words, he's still as strong in his faith as he was back then. He hasn't wavered in his faith. He's still living wholeheartedly for God and he's still passionate. Awesome statement. But now, he's smarter now. He's like, now, he says, he says, I'm still as passionate which the Lord spoke today. And Joshua blessed him. And he, oh, sorry, where is it? He says, verse 12, now therefore give me this mountain which the Lord spoke. So he's now like, okay, 40 years, it's time. I want my, see, you know when your promises, it's time. That's, that's, not being, that's being a boldness. Come on, we've served, we've done right. It's breakthrough time now. Give me my mountain. Come on. Now give me my promises. I'm still as passionate. Come on. I'm still as strong and I'm still as bold. Now give me this mountain. Amen. That's right. And then it says this. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephna, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb to this day because why? He wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Why did he get his promise? Because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Here he is, 40 years later, 85. He's still as passionate. Come on, he's still after the promise. And now he's like, what happens with time when you defeat a few giants, when you get a bit stronger, and then you become bold and go, devil, that's not going to work any longer. You're not going to talk me out of my inheritance. You're not going to talk me out of my blessing. You're not going to talk me out of my calling. Come on, you're not going to talk me out of that. You have lost now. Get out of my way. God says this is mine. Now give me this mountain. Come on. That's how we've got to be. That boldness. That why? Because he knows. He's followed God wholeheartedly. Why did he get it? Because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. It's pretty simple. It's not any, not that, oh, he was a great, powerful man. No, he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Come on, never give up on what God has promised you. If you give up, what's going to happen? Never give up on it. Come on, if we follow him wholeheartedly, he is faithful. Come on, he fulfills his word. You've got to stay strong. You've got to stay focused. This is the year of recovery. Come on, 2019 is a year of turnaround and a year of recovery. But if you don't know the Lord or hear his voice, you're oh, same old, same old. That's why the prophetic is so important. That's why it's good to hear. It's a year of recovery. Everyone's speaking, everyone's saying it's a year of turn, but there will be people who get to the end of this year and still will have nothing because they'll be like the eight. 
Oh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's still tough. It's getting worse. Oh, it's tough. You see what's happening? The violence is getting, oh, the economy's not good. This is, uh, come on, they'll still, because why? Because they're like the eight. But then there'll be the others that will say, no, 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 this is a year of recovery. This is a year of turnaround. Now give me my promise. This year, okay, I'm not just decreeing something out there that's, I want, I want this now because I do. I'm decreeing it because I know God has said it. He says that he speaks what he's going to speak through the prophets. That's why he has a prophetic voice. That's why you have. And so when you hear all the prophets talking about it's a year of recovery, and you can be assured, okay, I'm getting my recovery. Come on, I'm going to be passionate. And care what it looks like in the natural, I am recovering this year. Come on, this is my year of turnaround. I'm going to see turnaround. Come on, this is a year of favor. It's a year of blessing. Come on, and that's when we begin to decree it and it will be established. But if you just don't know that, you would, at the end of the year, you won't have a turn. I'm already seeing it. It's incredible. I'm so excited about it. I've seen so much turnaround, so much change. So much. Change is another word. There's stuff changing so rapidly at the moment. You better be ready for change. It's like jump out, do it, change, change. I've never seen so much change. What are we in? July. This year, oh, my gosh. It's like, oh, all right, Lord, I get it. Some change was very challenging. Some change has been so exciting. There's still some things out there that are just so exciting. But I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. Like, yes, Lord, I want it. Give us a mountain. I won't, Greg's most probably going to share, so I won't share too much. Or I'll get into trouble for pinching his word. <laughs> like, you shared all my revelation. No, just joking. It's a <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. And so we talked about not all entered the promise. Why? You know why? Here it is, Numbers 32.11. And this is why at the end of the year, even though it's a year of turnaround, it's a year of blessing, it's a year of recovery, not all will receive it. Why? The answer is here in Numbers 32.11. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly. Sometimes we complicate the word of God. Simple. Follow me wholeheartedly. You'll see the promises. Joshua, Caleb, David, Solomon, they all got the promises of God. Why? Not because they were learned great or this or that, because they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Joshua and Caleb went into the promised land. Why? Because they followed the Lord wholeheartedly, because they believed it. The others didn't go in. Why? Because they didn't follow God wholeheartedly. It's pretty simple. Not one of those who were with, who were 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised as an oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. No one except Caleb and Joshua. God's saying it. Come on. How sad. I don't know how many people were in the wilderness. You're the man or whatever. Millions. Thousands, I don't know. Whatever people were there. Okay. It's sad. How many people come out? Two. Two people, the other's under 20 because I, I, the theory on that is that there's an age of responsibility and so they were the next generation. They're still considered children, so they're covered by God and so 
they got to go in anyway. But everybody else after that who had a free will and a free and decided in their heart not to follow God, to waver between unbelief. Come on, they were unbelievable. They're seeing incredible things. Next minute they're building idols. But come on, people today are no different. We see incredible things. Next minute we're building on, well, I think I'll trust the world or I'll trust my bank account or I'll trust this or, or whatever. Why didn't they see it? Because they didn't follow God. Two people did. It says Joshua and Caleb. Verse no one except Caleb and Joshua went in. Why? Because they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. There it is. It's actually so simple. How do you enter the promises of God? Follow him wholeheartedly. Believe it. Come on. Believe it. If you can't, if your mind's telling you others, I've given you the key, the word of God, decree it until it's established. Come on. Get that division into whatever's in your mind, whatever's been programmed. See, God keeps his come. First Kings 8.22 says this, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel. He spread out his hands towards heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you. There isn't anyone like our God. There's no one. He is a proven, faithful God. He's proven. All the others go back to a man. Go back. God is proven. Over thousands of years, he's proven. And then it says, people have tried to disprove him. They end up believers because you can't disprove him. It says, there is no other God in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants. Who, what? Cont who continue to wholeheartedly in your way. That's who he keeps his covenant with. The servants who follow him wholeheartedly. That's what he says. He keeps his covenant. We saw that he made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But two people. Joshua and Caleb, God made a covenant. He said this, his intention was for every one of them to enter the promised land. His intention for all of us is to enter our promises and purposes. His intention is for all of you to succeed, for your family to succeed, for there to be a financial blessing, to be an inheritance for your children. That's his plan. He's made it simple, but you will not enter it if you don't follow him wholeheartedly. But the awesome thing is, you just go, God, all right, I get it. Forgive me for my stupidness. Forgive me for my lack of passion, whatever it is. I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly. Come on, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So why did they enter? Because they followed. God keeps his covenant with those who what? Follow him wholeheartedly. See, he backs up his word. He, did, he spoke a word. He wanted every one of those children to enter into their promised land. But because they didn't follow him wholeheartedly, they never went in. It's pretty, Second mm. Chronicles 31 verse 20. This is Hezekiah. It says, this is what Hezekiah did through all Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and to the commands, he sought his God and he worked wholeheartedly. And what? So he prospered. Come on. He worked wholeheartedly. He loved the Lord wholeheartedly. And what happened? And so he prospered. I'm telling you, 
being a Christian for long enough, traveling the world, I see people prosper who follow the Lord wholeheartedly. That don't give. Have they had challenges? Yes. Have they had times they want to give up? Yes. Have they had times where it looks the opposite? I'm telling you, if you're going to walk in the promise, you will walk through wilderness times. You will walk through times that feels like you, you've got no air, you've got no water, you feel like you don't. You look around you and it's barren. You don't see any growth. You feel like, well, I've poured in and poured in, but I don't see any growth. I don't see this. Come on. You will go through those times. But God's promise is if we follow him wholeheartedly, he will keep his covenant. Come on. He will keep his word. He will prosper you. He will prosper your family. He will prosper everything. you. He says, but if you keep his commands, come on, and follow him wholeheartedly. So why did he prosper? Because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I'm going to finish with this. Ephesians 6 verse 7 says this. Serve wholeheartedly. So there's an element always in our life that we have to serve. Come on, we've got to serve. I never think that it's above me. Nothing is ever above me. I can still clean a toilet. In actual fact, a girl and I renovated our whole toilets, the women's toilets at church. Got on the floor, almost knocked myself out with domestos. Well, one, I had so much domestos in the, the, the um, toothbrush and I didn't wear a mask because I'm a bit of a bull in a china shop. I should have worn a mask. And so I'm getting a fist, um, whatever, what's a, a, yeah, fumes. And I'm starting to feel, oh, and I hadn't eaten, so... I'm not sensible there. So I'm starting to feel, ooh. And then I, I get up and smash my head on the basin. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to kill myself. But it's like, you know what? Every time I walk in those toilets, I feel good. This is the house of God. They look beautiful now. They smell good. They're like, they're domestos so clean and white. And we put up new mirrors. And, and it's like, I just, I wanted to do it because my honor is attached to the house of God. I love the house of God. And it's like, sure, I could ask someone else to do it, but I had a vision for it and I wanted it a certain way. So another girl and I, we did it. So I don't think anything is ever. It's like, I will jump in, serve, do people. Someone's like, no, you shouldn't have to. We're at our conference in the US and a friend was struggling I'm not saying to big note, but she was struggling. Someone's away serving the coffee. The line's getting longer. And I'm like, I'm just, I'll come and help you. I don't know how to make coffee, but I can take, not those machines. I said, but I can take the money and take the orders. And I'm good at that. She said, no, you can't do that. I'll get, I said, yes, I can do that. You need help. And it's like, I'm going to do it. I have to tell her, yes, I'm going to do it. But it should never be above us to serve. Never. Come on. We should always be willing so there's times where you reproduce, like our monthly meetings now. I don't have to set up the chairs. And, well, we've got our own building now. But there's certain things. Uh, we have the liberty now. We have a monthly meeting. We preach a word, prophesy over people. Then our teams are there, and they give prophetic words to anyone who comes to me. I don't have to stay there and prophesy till 10 o'clock now, okay? I've, we've reproduced teams who can do that, so I can go home. So there's, there's times where... You know, you, there's things that you don't have to do that forever, that you, you reproduce, you bring up people who you're confident with, and you don't have to do that anymore. That's part, But we never get so big that we can't do it. If they were short, I would jump on a prophetic team and prophesy over people. That's, you've just still got to have, that's why I said reading Proverbs is good. You've still got to have a willing heart to do things. Come on, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That just shows you. It says that, so serve wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. 
I love that because this is something in my own life that whenever you feel like you're being used or being people are taking advantage of you or like, why is it always? And you will feel like that. When you're a leader or when you're someone with a bit of passion, a bit of, you will always get in and do it. But then sometimes you can start to feel like, why is it always me? Why have I, or they're just using me. They just want me for my gift. I'm a, I'm a good cleaner. They just, come on. The only time the pastor calls me is when he wants food baked for the morning tea. You know, and then he praises me and tells me how good I am. But all the rest of the time, and so you can, you can feel like you're a bit used. But whenever I feel like that, come on, whenever in life I feel like I'm being used or people taking me for bad, everything I do, I say, Lord, I do this unto you. So then when you do it unto God, then you'll never feel ripped off. Because it doesn't matter if that person's trying to rip me off or use me or, or take advantage of me. I'm doing this unto you, God, and you'll bless me and whatever's in their heart, whatever. Okay, so that's how you do it. When it says here, that's why this verse is so, it's so important. It says, serve him wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. We're always got to remember everything we do as unto God. Come on, you can get tired of just counseling and all sorts of whatever you're doing. Is, you can get tired of everything. You know, you get tired of being a mum. You get tired of being a dad. Uh -huh. But anyway, Lord, I do this unto you. I'm raising up a generation. Come on. I, this is my family is going to serve you. So that's how you then don't feel used. And be, I had a friend, a classic example, who she was complaining. They didn't have a dishwasher. I might have told. But anyway, she just felt like the dishes were never ending continually. And I was like, the kitchen was, she wanted to clean it, never clean. And there was about seven in the household, and she's like, it's a never ending. I'm so sick of it. And she's standing there. All I do is wash up and dry up and put away. And I just clean up, and then your kids will drop another 10 dishes on the sink. And so she's just complaining and going on and on. And then it's like the Lord began to speak to her and told she had to change her attitude. And so she's like, the Lord said, you should be thankful that you have at home, that you've got dishes to wash up, that you have family, that you're not alone. You've got people to cook for. You've got people to dirty the dishes. There's people who were alone and wished that they had people to cook for and to wash dishes for. And you should be, so she got a good check in her spirit. Okay, well, I'm thankful that I can be a good mum and provide clean dishes for my family. I thank you that I'm healthy enough to wash and you've given me energy to clean the dishes. And so she started to be thankful. Well, two weeks later, the Lord blessed her with a dishwasher. But if she didn't change her attitude, I'm sure she'd still be washing dishes today and complaining. Says how it's what you do. Come on, being thankful. And the number one most important thing, I'm finished with Mark 12, 33 is to love him with your whole heart. To love our God with our whole heart. And then he says, and love your neighbour. See, when you love God, then you can love others. But if you don't love, if you haven't got that passion and you lost some, I feel like a lot of church, we've lost our passion for God. We lost that first love. Remembering the night he found you. Remembering when, you, that's why we have to have new converts. Because they remind us of that they're so excited 
new convents. Wow, it's like, oh, they've just won $20 million. Come on, which they have. Come on. They're so excited when, when someone gets healed or someone gets saved and, and they're, they're like so excited. They want to tell everybody. They don't care if they think they're weird. They'll tell everybody, I just gave my life to Jesus. Oh, it's wonderful. That's why we need new converts around us. Come on, to keep us never forgetting what he is. It's not becoming like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, if he knew what manner of woman this was, that we become so high and mighty in our position of saved from the Lord that we forget, come on, what he has saved you from, what, what he has lifted you out of, how blessed we are that he chose us, how blessed, it's an honour to serve God. It's an honour to be able to go to the house of God. We are blessed to be able to have churches. Come on, it's such a shake-up where people don't want to come to church. Oh, what, I've got to go twice in one week? What? I mean, Sunday night was always a, we all went to church Sunday night. Sunday was church. That's what we did. Sunday morning, we had lunch, we had a sleep, the kids had a sleep, and we all went back to church Sunday night because Sunday night was a party. Sunday morning was more serious. Sunday night was a, that's what we did, and we loved it. We never complained. And then we went to Wednesday night, midweek prayer meeting and Bible study, and we never complained. And now it's like, what? I have to go twice on Sunday? What, you want me to come out Wednesday? days as well. My gosh, you've got seven days a week. God only asked for that little bit and yet we will give so much. Come on, it's the house of God. We are so blessed that we are able to worship our God freely. We're so blessed that we have houses of God, that we have buildings, that in this country we're able to worship God. See, we've got to remember those things. And when you love God and you have that whole heart that you're passionate about the house of God, a lot of people, it's like your children are not passionate about God because you're not. Come on. Or we go to church on Sunday and it's like, we're excited about church on Sunday. Sometimes I have to be excited Come on, I've got to tell my body, it's Sunday, we're going to church, and I'm excited about it, okay? I don't always say, yeah, it's Sunday, we're going to the house. I don't always feel like I want to minister to people. But that's where you get past your feelings. Come on, that's where you start to, the soul and the spirit. No, no, spirit. the spirit loves to worship God. The spirit loves the house of God. The spirit loves that. The spirit is what? God living inside. He loves us and he's passionate. And he, so that's where you, he's, um, Paul tells Timothy, he reminds him to stir up the gift of God in you, to fan it into flame. So you've got to stir that up when you're not passionate, when you don't feel like it. So we're passionate about church. Our, our grandchildren are passionate because we're passionate. I tell my little granddaughter, it's Sunday. She works out the weekend. Saturday's family day and Sunday we get to go to church. She's excited about to go to church. We had a conference last year, oh, three years ago when she was three or three and a half, whatever. Anyway, it was a conference not for kids. We're out every night. We're at Thursday night, Friday, all day Friday, Saturdays, church on Sunday. Then we flew to New Zealand Monday, did the same thing, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. She's just a little girl, three, and she's in these men. They're not meetings for kids. There wasn't a kids program. She just was on the floor in between, whatever. And so the last night, after a whole week of this, we get on the, our friends had a bus, picked us all up. We get on the bus and she's sitting at the, at the front. She just starts to cry. And um, Joseph Materia, who was there, What's wrong, Zara? Will you cry? She goes, conference is finished. I'm so sad. Well, he was just blown away. He's like, 
It wasn't even a conference for her. And she's sad the conference is finished. And she's, Why? Because we are passionate and we love it. So she, and so they find that passionate about God. But if you're not excited about church, how do you expect your children? How do you expect your friends or your family? Let's stand. Wholeheartedly. Come on. It's a good little wake up for all of us. I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> it's a time where you just, come on. How do you get into the promises of God? How do you see the change? You serve him wholeheartedly. That's what does it. Come on. That's the key. There's nothing else. It's not about how good you are, how blessed you, how much money you got, how good looking, what your giftings are. No, it's about wholeheartedly. See, that's why you see God's no respect of persons. You could be the least, you could be the poorest, and that's why he says in the last days, I'll pour my spirit out on all. He covers every, all flesh. Though he does not put a distinction between money, brains, gifting. He just, whoever serves me wholeheartedly, I will bless. That's the key. Come on, wholeheartedly.